There's absolutely nothing I say today that's going to change your life. Not one word that I say today is going to change your life. You might say to yourself, then why did I even come? Why am I even listening? If nothing you say is going to change my life, what's the point? Let's just end in prayer right now and go home. But it's true. I need to be honest with you. There's not one word that comes out of my mouth today that's going to change your life. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, since I'm just a mere mortal, this is true even all the more. There's nothing that God will say today to you through me that will change your life. Nothing. Not one word that God says to you today will change your life. It's completely incapable unless you're hungry to be changed. You have to want to be changed. You have to be hungry to be changed. You have to be interested in becoming the best version of yourself possible. In the business world, they use the idea of CQI all the time, continuous quality improvement. Any and every good organization, any and every good organization is committed to CQI. The business people among us right now, if you're a business person, I just rang your bell. Now I am communicating. I'm connecting with you. CQI is not a small thing in the business world. It's a huge thing, especially when the bottom dollar, the bottom line, the dollar is what's important. CQI continuous quality improvement. A business has to be committed to becoming the best version of itself, continually improving. Teams within businesses have to be committed to continuously improving. Families, if you're going to change and become the most God-honoring family possible, you have to be committed to CQI, continuous quality improvement, and you have to be committed to CQI personally. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, if you made a decision to surrender to Jesus Christ, that decision, whether you knew it or not, you're going to understand it by the time we're done today, that decision was to become the absolute best version of yourself so that by the time they either dig a hole and put you in it or by the time they light a fire and put you in it, whether you're cremated or buried, by the time that happens, you will have reached your greatest potential for God. There are far too many people today who are just coasting, just coasting, resting on their laurels in terms of what happened in their life in the past waiting for somebody to acknowledge what they're doing in the present, and in the meantime, missing opportunities royally in regard to CQI, continuous quality improvement, becoming the very best version of you. You do not want to be a cheap imitation of somebody else. You do not want to deprive the world of the only you there will ever be. More importantly, you do not want to deprive the living and true God who made you, created you in his image, gave you an aptitude, gave you a personality, gave you spiritual gifts and natural gifts and appearance and has given you treasures, given you resources at your disposal. You do not want to belittle the person that he created you to be. You want to be the best version of yourself. And the only way for that to happen, the only way for anything that is said today to make any difference at all in your life is if you are hungry to be transformed. You have to want to change in order to change. God can speak to you, and he might have been speaking to you for a long time, but that will be in vain if you don't couple God's voice, what God is saying to you, with a unwavering determination to put what God is saying to you into action. You have to be hungry to change. You have to be discontent with where you are. There needs to be a holy discontentedness in the life of a Christ follower, where on one hand, you're thankful for who God made you to be. You're appreciative of all that God has done in your life, but you're not resting on that. You're not content. There should be a discontentedness because the idea is that you should be more and more like Jesus Christ. If you are the same this year as you were last year, something is wrong. If you are the same next year as you are this year, something is wrong because the Holy Spirit is in the business of CQI, transforming you 
into becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in character. Becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in character. The objective of your life. You ready to write this down? You should be writing things down while we're spending our time together because the things you write down are the things you remember. The things you remember are the things you apply. The things that you apply are the things that change your life. God's purpose for me is to become more like Jesus Christ in character. That's the purpose of your life. And if you haven't noticed that Christ's character in you right now is not what it was five years ago, if you knew Jesus at that time, or if you've come to know Jesus since that time. And by the grace of Almighty God, the undeserved favor of God, because he's not obligated to make us like Jesus at all, but the undeserved grace of God is that five years from now, if you listen to what God says to you and you are hungry to be more like Jesus Christ in character, you will be an unrecognizable person. You must not remain the same as you are today. You cannot remain the same as when you walked into this building or when you began to listen compared to when our time together is over. And in order for anything that I say to be of any kind of value in your life or for anything that God might say through me, despite me, in order for that to have any transforming power in your life, you have to be hungry to change. You have to want to change. No one, including God, can change you. There are many people whom God is speaking to, whom God has been speaking to, but their lives are not changed. Their lives are not changing. Why is that? Why is it that two people can go through very similar adversarial sets of circumstances, very difficult childhoods, very difficult teen years, very difficult adult lives. They can go through a series of events, a health problem or a financial problem or a business problem or a relationship problem. And one person excels with God and another person stagnates with God. One person becomes a completely unrecognizable version of what they used to be, while the other person goes from bad to worse. What is the difference? It's not that God hasn't been speaking to both of those people. It's not that God hasn't been at work in the lives of each of those people. It's that one needs to be accompanied with faith and dogged determination, a hunger to change. You have to be hungry to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be committed to putting what God says to you into practice. That's the difference between somebody who stagnates and somebody who backslides, somebody who rests on their laurels, and somebody who excels and takes off with God. So there's nothing that I say today that's going to change you. Nothing that God says today is going to change you unless it is appreciated with a hunger to put into practice what God says and a hunger, a desire, a deep and burning desire to be more like Jesus Christ in character. So if you're hungry to be transformed, if you don't want to be the same person you were when you began listening, if you want to be different this coming year than you started off this year, your hunger coupled with what God wants to say to you, with what God is teaching you, is going to make all the difference in this world. And not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we continue in our series, Heroes and Underdogs, because there's a hero and there is an underdog here that we're going to look at, not necessarily very well known. And the reason why that's so exciting is because most of the heroes in the Bible are not really the ones that get the front page and the headlines in terms of our Bible studies. It's easy to talk about, to think about Moses and David and Abraham 
and the 12 apostles and Ruth and Naomi and Mary and Joseph. It's easy to think about all of their great, tremendous exploits, the things that we learned from the time we were in Sunday school if we grew up in church or catechism if you're raised like I was in the Catholic church. It's easy to think about those major people, the famous people, and to think that your life is nothing like theirs. You might not have a big platform. God might not have ever used you, at least not yet. And he might not ever use you in a way that makes the headlines. Your Twitter account might never have a lot of followers. Your Facebook following might never be that significant. You gotta be careful that you don't confuse social media significance with real life face-to-face significance. And you have to be careful along with that. Listen, pay attention, don't lose this. You have to be careful that you don't mistake popularity for faithfulness. Do not make the mistake that many are making today. They are confusing popularity for faithfulness. You might not be tremendously popular. You might not be tremendously famous. God did not call you to be famous. He called you to be faithful. The fame issue is up to God. The fame issue is up to God. The fame issue is up to God. The faithfulness issue is up to you. It's up to you. And here we're going to look at a particular individual, not very well known, but incredibly practical. You can be like this individual. You can exhibit the same traits that this not so well known person exhibited then. And we're reading about him in the pages of scripture over 2,000 years after this event took place. Second Timothy chapter one, beginning in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul lays it out, helps Timothy, who's the recipient of this letter, understand how he saw himself. He is an apostle. Now there's a big problem here with how Paul begins this letter in the context of everything else we're going to read. Big problem here. He identifies himself as an apostle. You would think if anybody was immune from difficulty and hardship because the purpose of an apostle is to plant churches, to teach sound doctrine, and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of an apostle. The only problem is that Paul is writing this while he's in Rome, in prison, awaiting his execution. That's the situation here. Paul, an apostle called by God, did not lose sight of God's calling on him, did not let the circumstances dictate his passion for God. Be careful or you will let cancer, you will let financial difficulty, you will let a family difficulty, you will let a relational issue, you will let your age, haven't you noticed we're all getting older? You will let your age, you will let your weight, whether you're overweight or underweight, you will let your good looks or lack of good looks, you will let something about you, something in your life, you will let your circumstances dictate your fire for God. And Paul demonstrates for us, listen, I'm in prison. I am awaiting my own execution. And yet I am still an apostle called by God. God's hand is on me. God does not change his mind. His gifts and his calling are, irrevoc- are irrevocable. He will not change his mind. He does not change his mind like people do these days. Paul understood while he was in prison awaiting execution under the rule and the reign of Nero, a 29-year-old, maybe 30-year-old nut job. Now today, there's this thing called Godwin's Rule or Godwin's Law. It came up, it was presented by attorney Michael Godwin back in 1990, and he had this idea, it was in Usenet groups at first, but now it applies to anything online, social media, any kind of online discussion. And Godwin's rule or Godwin's law is this, that the longer an online discussion continues, the greater the probability that eventually somebody's going to bring in Hitler or the Nazis. Somebody's going to compare somebody else to Hitler and the Nazis. And that's the end of the discussion. You go nuclear, you say, well, so-and-so is like Hitler or worse than Hitler or so-and-so is like the Nazis or worse than the Nazis, and that's the end of it. The longer an online discussion happens, the greater the chances are that somebody's gonna compare somebody else to Hitler 
or the Nazis. And you can see that for yourself. You'll see that if you are engaged in social media, if you're on Facebook, if you're on any kind of electronic gadgetry and involved in discussions, you will see when there are disagreements, it escalates and it escalates and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. You're worse than Hitler. You're just like the Nazis. And where do you go after that? See, in modern times, Hitler is about as bad as it gets. But back in the day when Paul was in prison, Nero was the nut job, had his own mother killed, burned Christians alive. Nero was a nut job. And Nero and his henchmen, they are responsible for Paul being in prison. The apostle called by God, anointed and appointed and called by God, he is now in prison. Seems like, how can I accomplish what God has called me to do if I'm in prison? If God called me to plant churches and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, hard for me to do it here. Paul was an unstoppable spiritual army tank. Paul did not let his circumstances dictate his fire for God. If that was true for Paul, it's true for you and it's true for me. Oftentimes, we allow our emotional state to be influenced by circumstances in our lives. We allow our spiritual fire for God to be dictated by how much money we have, how much money we don't have, how much time we have in regard to the different directions that we're pulled and drawn into. That's why you got to be careful with your time. It's the one resource you never get more of. You never get more of. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. You can make more money, but you cannot get more time in your life. You have to steward the same amount of time that everybody else got. Some people are really effective at that. Other people aren't as effective at it. But each one of us, if you're committed to CQI, you've got to be better and better and better and better and better at the use of your time. Redeem the time for the days are evil. Paul finds himself in prison. He's not letting anything slow him down. He writes a letter to his understudy, the apprentice, this young man named Timothy, and he writes this letter to him, to, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. This is Paul's farewell letter. He's saying goodbye to Timothy. He knows that he's going to be executed unless there's miraculous intervention from God. He knows that he's going to be executed. He knew that Nero was that much of a nut job. He's saying his goodbyes. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. This is the guy that Paul handed the baton to. As he's saying goodbye, he has replicated to the point where now when Paul is out of the picture, the gospel will go on. And that's what you need to do in your life as well. You need to be investing in other people so that whether you are present or absent, your presence is continually felt. Whether you are present or absent, your presence is continually felt. You don't have to be physically present in order for your presence and your impact to continue. This is the one that Paul passed the baton to, Timothy. As Paul is ready to finish his race with absolute faithfulness, breathing his last breath, Timothy is the one to whom God has entrusted the continuation of Paul's ministry, and now Timothy ends up being just like Paul, spreading the gospel, spreading sound doctrine, sound biblical belief, and raising up and training leaders. By the way, discipleship is all about leadership development. Because until our doctrine makes its way into our leadership, you don't understand your doctrine. For too long in the church, what we've done is we've confused discipleship as sitting in a classroom, learning about the Trinity, learning about salvation in Jesus, learning about bibliology and the Bible, learning about eschatology, learning about all kinds of stuff. And that stuff is all great. I did it, and many of you have, and many of you should be doing it more than you already do it. But if all you're doing is memorizing verses 
and facts about the Godhead and facts about salvation, if that's all you're doing and it's not making you into a better leader, CQI, continuous quality improvement, you do not understand discipleship. And most of us in the body of Christ don't have a clue what discipleship is about. We think it's all about head knowledge. We think it's all about understanding stuff. Paul told Timothy elsewhere, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Not just your doctrine, watch your lifestyle and what you believe until what you believe in your head and your heart makes its way into your leadership style and your leadership influence. I'm not talking about your fame. Doesn't mean you're going to be famous. It means you're going to be faithful until what you understand and what you learn makes its way into your influence. Leadership is influence. You do not fully understand what discipleship is about. Discipleship, by definition, biblically, is about becoming the best version of yourself so that you can help other people become the best version of themselves. That's what discipleship is about, becoming the best version of yourself so that in the overflow, you can help other people become the best version of themselves. If you're not doing that, if you are not committed to that, you do not understand discipleship. You don't understand the Great Commission. You don't understand what it means to mature in Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing if you understand that because that means that you are hearing from God. Now, you need to take your hunger to be the best version of yourself and couple that with what God is saying to you, and you need to say, you know what? I'm going to change my understanding of what I am as a follower of Jesus Christ. I am an influencer. I have been called by God to influence other people, to help them become the best version of themselves. That's what God has called you to be. That's what God has called you to do. The Great Commission and leadership are inseparable biblically. We have separated them. But biblically, you cannot separate discipleship from developing leaders. So whatever ministry God has called you to, if you're not investing in other people so that they can pick up the baton once you're gone, you're missing an opportunity. If you are a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a deacon, if you're not reaching out to people and training them and tapping them on the shoulder, you're missing out. We do not effectively recruit people to become elders or to become deacons or to serve in ministries by putting up a video or by handing out a sheet and saying, hey, would you volunteer for XYZ ministry? You exert your influence on an individual basis with the three, four, five, ten people that you know, and you say, hey, I want you to come and meet me at such and such a place at such and such a time and be part of what God is doing. That's what a leader does. All the other things are just supplemental. Showing a video, making a handout, making an announcement, that's just supplemental stuff. You're the best advertising agent for the gospel. You. You are, and God didn't make a mistake by making you. He created you in his likeness to be somebody who spreads the aroma of Jesus Christ wherever you go, and Many of us need to, right here, right now, drive a stake in the ground and say, oh my God, literally, I have mistaken Bible knowledge for Bible application. Oh my God, literally, I have not understood the Great Commission. Oh my God, literally, I have not understood that to be a disciple is to be a leader in process who in turn raises up other leaders. If you do not understand that to be a disciple is to be a leader, CQI, continuous quality improvement, who is reaching out to help other people become leaders, you do not understand God's calling on your life. That's what God's calling is for every single Christ follower. To be somebody who's committed to taking the influence that God has given you. Leadership is influence. Leadership is is influence. So if you're a mother, you have tremendous influence over your children. Capitalize on it. If you're a father, you have tremendous influence over your children. Make the most of it. If you are a business owner or a boss at a company, use the position that God has given you to influence people for God's greatest glory. If you are an employee at a company and you're not a boss and you're not in a position where you have official influence in regard to a title 
or an authority to make decisions, completely irrelevant if you're a Christ follower. You're not waiting for a title. You're not waiting for a, a title in front of your name or alphabets at the end of your name because you understand that leadership is influenced to be a disciple is to influence people in regard to the Lord Jesus Christ, in regard to the gospel. You are called to influence people. And Paul is writing his farewell letter to Timothy, helping him understand that not only does the mission go on, not only does the glory of God need to remain the forefront, but we need to remain faithful. What is it that God is saying to you? I don't care how old you are or how young you are. I don't care how rich you are or how poor you are. I don't care because God doesn't care what kind of family you grew up in. You need to make your decisions determine your discipleship, not your circumstances. Because you might say to yourself, well, I had this circumstance, I had that circumstance, and it gave me, you know, the odds are against me. I'll show you somebody who had five times as many odds, and they are blossoming for Jesus Christ. Now, how can they do it? The reason why is because they were hungry to change. They wanted to change. They wanted to become the best version of themselves. And that commitment, that unwavering commitment, to become the best version of themselves is one of the reasons why they became the best version of themselves. It's not that God's not speaking to us. God's speaking to you. It's what we do with the gems that God gives to us. It's what we do with what God says to us. That's why some people excel in their walk with Christ, Christ-like character, influence. Other people don't. And then there's everything in between. You have to be hungry to change. You have to be hungry to be more like Jesus Christ. You have to be interested in influencing other people during the only time you'll have this side of eternity. Your life is happening right now. God is presenting you with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to not just hear his voice, but obey his voice. Be hungry to be transformed so that you can in turn transform others. Paul's pouring himself out here and he's giving parting words. Look what he says in verse eight. Well, let's, let's back up there for a second. Verse six, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Sounds a lot like what we're talking about, doesn't it? I remind you, God gave you the gift, but you have to be the flame fanner. I remind you to fan into flame the gift that God gave you through the laying on of my hands. Is that true in your life? Are you fanning into flame the gifts that God has given you, whether it's natural talent, natural ability, whether it's spiritual gifting, whether it's finances, whether it's physical resources, whether it's good looks? Are you using them for God's glory? There are plenty of people who have been used tremendously by God who didn't have good looks. So you don't have an excuse. Whether God has made you good looking or not so good looking, whether you're overweight or underweight, whether you're rich or poor, black, white, some color in between, whatever your background was in your family, whatever kind of upbringing you had, none of that is an excuse because the Holy Spirit's bigger than all of that. And Paul, the apostle, while he's in prison on fire for God, tells Timothy, listen, you have a gift. God gave you that gift. You have a responsibility. You have a charge. And that charge is to fan into flame the gift that God gave you. Don't think it's just going to take care of itself. How are fires started? How are embers rekindled? Somebody's got to blow on them. And Paul is using that imagery here. Listen, God gave you a gift. He's not just saying it to Timothy. He's saying it to you. You see, God is speaking to you. But you have to be hungry, as Timothy was, as Paul was, to take what God is saying to you and say, I am going to be responsible and I am going to fan into flame the gift that God gave to me. There is a divine and human partnership here. God will always do his part. If and when you do your part, that little flame can become a raging fire. And that does not mean you'll be famous. Stop it with the fame, would you please? I've met so many people, they're the next Billy Graham, they're the next this, they're the next that. And in the meantime, they got uh, not much of an influence at all. Because the devil loves to tempt us and to confuse us with fame over faithfulness. So many people, 
not rising to the level of influence that they would have for Jesus Christ because they have mistaken fame for faithfulness. You be faithful to God and he'll make you as famous as he wants you to to be. Just be faithful to God, leave the consequences with him. God didn't call any of us to be famous and to pursue fame. He called us to be faithful. And anybody and everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ can be faithful. And Paul reminds us here, fan into flame. Whatever God gave you, make the most of it. Be hungry, CQI, continuous quality improvement. Be hungry to be the best version of yourself. Listen, one day they're going to dig a hole and they're going to put you in it. Or one day I was there when my brother and I, we lifted up my mother's casket and we put my mother's coffin inside. She was cremated. I'm telling you, one of these days they're going to dig a hole and they're going to put you in it. One of these days, they're going to take your body to a crematory and they're going to cremate you. Your choice. In the meantime, what are you doing with the gift that God has given you? Paul in prison, knowing he's going to his own death, you know what he says to Timothy? Listen, fan it into flame. Take that fire that God has given you and fan it to the point where you become a person who is so faithful to God that you become an unstoppable fire for his glory. These are his parting words to Timothy. His parting words echoing true for us today, 2,000 years later. Verse 7, here's the reason why. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. That's the Holy Spirit. How do you know whether it's the Holy Spirit or whether it's your own flesh or whether it's the world or whether it's the devil? Here's some of the traits right here. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Wait a second, you're an apostle? Can't you name it and claim it and get rid of the suffering issue? So prevalent today, people think I follow Jesus, everything's gonna resolve with a nice bow, a nice ribbon on it. Everything's gonna be beautiful. I'm gonna get the babe, I'm gonna get the man, I'm gonna get the new truck. I'm gonna get, what. everything's gonna come out nicely, Well, how come Paul didn't get delivered from prison? Because Paul understood that his own livelihood, his own well-being was not nearly as important as the notoriety of Jesus Christ and the mission God called him to. If you make it your ambition to live a comfortable, convenient life, and if you recreate God in your own image and mistake following him for comfort and convenience, you're going to miss all the blessings that God has along the way. And you'll never have the impact for Jesus Christ that you otherwise would have. Comfort and convenience are up to God. In fact, the purpose of the mountaintop is not to transform you. That's where we get to come up for air. It's in the valleys. It's in the difficult times. It's in the hardships of life. That's where character is formed. So don't make light of the difficult circumstance, the difficult situation you're facing, because it's those difficult situations that form character. And what kind of character, by the way? Christ-like character if you're hungry. You have to be hungry. You have to want it. Otherwise, nothing that God says, otherwise, nothing that God does will actually change your life. It can be in vain. The things that God has been speaking to you about, God has been talking to you about, if you don't couple them with faith, as the Bible says, if you don't couple them with a hunger to be like Jesus Christ, you can get left behind. And I'm not talking about the book series either. I'm talking about you can miss the opportunity to do what Paul is telling Timothy, to fan into flame the gift that God has given you. What are you doing to fan that flame? What are you doing to make the most of what God is saying to you, what God is depositing into your life, what he's speaking to you? What kind of treasures is God saying to you? Is it your ambition to have Christ-like character because that needs to be your purpose in life? It is your purpose in life if you're a follower of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, verse nine, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. 
We don't earn anything for God to do these things in our lives, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Your suffering can be in proportion to God's calling on your life. It can be the actual reason why you're suffering and going through difficulty. Because God has his hand on you, not because he took his hand off of you. So much in our natural state, we think because we're going through difficulty, God must be angry at me. He must be peeved at me. Listen, if you have been faithful to God and you're experiencing difficulty, it comes with the territory. It comes with the territory. That's why I suffer as I do, verse 12, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. His parting words to Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Be responsible. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Thigalus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed and was not ashamed of my chains. This is the guy, Orthodox Christianity, believes that this was the guy who became the bishop, Anisiphorus. He's the guy who became the bishop of Asia Minor and Corinth. Became a big, influential person here. He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. And he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This guy, Anisiphorus, this is the guy that I want you to focus on. This is what we're going to spend in our closing time focusing on here. Because Anisiphorus was a refreshing person. He refreshed the Apostle Paul. The Greek word that's used here, it's an amazing word that's used. It means to give somebody room to breathe. That's what it means. To give somebody room to breathe, to revive somebody. In the English, it's translated here as refresh, but it means to give somebody room to breathe. Now, here's Paul in prison, facing his own death sentence under a nut job, 29, 30-year-old guy who actually ended up committing suicide. That was Nero, committed suicide. Paul, basically, for all intents and purposes, humanly speaking, would be smothering. He'd be overwhelmed, contemplating his own death, frustrated as all get-go. Why can't I be free? Oh, if I could be free, I could plant churches like there's no tomorrow. If I could be free, I could preach the gospel face-to-face and debate. Lord, you know that I've debated people. Look at the book of Acts. You see how God used the apostle Paul. This seems so anticlimactic. This is not the way it's supposed to end up. Anisiphorus comes along and actually gives Paul room to breathe at a time when he would have been suffocating. Refreshes him, revives him. Listen, Anisiphorus is a great example of a hero in the faith, an underdog in the faith. You can refresh people. You can give people room to breathe. If Anisiphorus could do that for Paul, In that kind of a circumstance, you can do it for your wife. Give your wife some room to breathe. You can do it for your husband. Would you give your husband some breathing room? Would you be somebody who's known as refreshing others, reviving others, giving some space to people in a day and an age where so many people are quick to point the finger and to judge and to criticize. Seems like no matter where you turn, the cup is always half empty. Be somebody who sees the cup as being half full. Be somebody who is characterized, known 
for being refreshing. Anisiphorus was like that. He was refreshing to the apostle Paul. And he ends up making it into the record of Scripture. What's going to be said about your life when they dig that hole or when they light that fire for you? Was your fire burning brightly for Jesus Christ? Can it be said of you, are you a refreshing person? Are you somebody who gives people room to breathe? If you're a parent, don't exasperate. It doesn't just apply to fathers, even though fathers are detailed in the book of Ephesians. It applies to mothers as well and parents together. Don't exasperate your children. Breathe life and hope into them. Disciple them, mentor them, teach them. Lead them, influence them, refresh them, give them room to breathe. At the workplace, if you're a boss and you have people working under you, of course you have to correct people. You have to, otherwise you're not doing your job. You have to help people understand, well, this is not what needs to be done. This is what needs to be done. But do it in such a way that you encourage people. Do it in such a way that people are refreshed as a byproduct of it. Do it in such a way that when you have to provide correction, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and his name is Jesus. There's hope. It's not a train. Do it in such a way that you inspire people. You've got to, as a parent, tell your children what's wrong and what's right. Do it in a way that gives them room to breathe. Do it in a way that revives them and inspires them and encourages them and builds them up. Do it in such a way at the workplace. Do it as a husband towards your wife. Do it as a wife towards your husband. Be refreshing. If Anisiphorus could do that for the Apostle Paul who was facing his certain death while he was in prison, facing a lot of discouragement, then you can do that wherever you go. You can do it in your family. You can do it in the workplace. You can do it in your neighborhood. Be a modern-day Anisiphorus. Be somebody who refreshes other people. Look at the second thing, characteristic of this hero, this underdog, Anisiphorus. What he says here, verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, and by the way, his name means bringing profit or, or being useful. Isn't that interesting? That's what his name means, bringing profit or being useful. What does your name mean? I don't mean in the literal sense. I mean, what has your name become synonymous with? What are you known for? The book of Proverbs says a good name is more desirable than riches. Your reputation counts before God and before people. What are you known for? Well, in Isiphorus, he was known as bringing profit and being useful. That's what his name literally meant. What does your name mean? When people hear your name, do they see you as somebody who's refreshing, somebody who's reviving, somebody who gives room to breathe, somebody who speaks truth with love for the purpose of inspiring others? May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me, gave me breathing space, revived me, and was not ashamed of my chains. Not only was Anisimus refreshing. Not only can you be refreshing if you're hungry to be a refresher. You have to be hungry. But Anisiphorus was also brave. He was not ashamed of Jesus. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And he wasn't ashamed of Paul. See, there are people who are on the front lines. There are people who are on the, on the back lines, supporting the people on the front lines. And then there are people who are watching on the sidelines. You don't want to be like that. You want to be somebody if you're on the front lines, as Paul was, or if you're on the back lines, supporting those on the front lines, as Timothy was. You want to be somebody who is brave. You're not ashamed of Jesus. You're not ashamed of the gospel. You're not ashamed of the people who are on the front lines. Don't sit on the sidelines. Today, when I came in, when I was driving here, driving with our family, and there's cold rain out there, somebody along the roadside putting up our banners at the roadside, I beeped my horn, and I thought, now that's somebody, and you know who you are. Today it was an individual, tomorrow, next week, it could be another individual. It doesn't matter who the individual is, per se. It matters the attitude of the individual putting up those banners in the cold, wet rain so that you and I 
could come to this campus and other people who have not yet been to this campus, maybe coming for the very first time, could understand, oh, this is the entrance. Oh, these people are actually excited to see me. These people actually care that I'm here. People putting out coffee, not because it's about the best blend of coffee, and I'll be the first to admit, we don't have the best coffee out here. You won't see that on our website. We're not giving out donuts and coffee because we think we got donuts and coffee that rival Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or Pete's Coffee. We're doing it because we're being nice for a greater purpose. And you might not know those people who make the coffee. You might be somebody who says, I don't know who makes the coffee, but the coffee sucks. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. Bravery, a commitment, whether you're in the back lines or the front lines, you're not going to sit on the sidelines. God is moving and you want to move with him. You hear me say this before, I'm going to say it again. To build your faith, lift your Bible. 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 You want to become brave? You want to do things for God in public? Follow him in private. If you will walk with God in secret with your Bible, if you will crack it open and read it and let God speak to you and couple that with a hunger to put what God says to you in action, to put that into action, If you walk with God in secret, he'll do great things for you in public. And by the way, I don't mean make you famous. I don't mean make you famous. Faithfulness does not mean famous. It means that if you walk with God in secret, you will have the courage You will be brave with God in public. You will say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. You will do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Haven't you noticed there's a lot that needs to not just be said today in the United States of America, but it needs to be done differently than it's being done in the church, in politics, in our communities. Well, you know who the answer to that problem is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ and you with your hunger, your commitment to CQI, continuous quality improvement. God, make me like Jesus in character. Send me out into this world to build your faith, lift your Bible. If you want to become brave for Jesus Christ, if you want to be like a modern day Anisiphorus, You've got to be somebody who's walking with God, reading the word of God on a daily basis. And if you miss a day, don't beat yourself up. Today ends at midnight. A new day begins. Get into the word. Get into the word. Let the word of God get into you, and the spirit of God will flow out of you. Anisiphorus was refreshing. He was brave. You can be refreshing, and you can be brave, and you will be refreshing, and you will be brave as you lift your Bible, because that's where your faith is built. Everybody is born a coward. Everybody. Why is it that some people are more courageous than others? If we had time, I would explain to you how many times I had to confront businessmen, who thought they were pastors. Actually, they probably thought they were bishops. Because they didn't have the heart and the mind of God, they didn't know the Bible. But they had very strong personalities, wanted it their way. I wanted to crawl under a rock somewhere. If we had time, I'd tell you how many times I debate with God. I debate with him that I've yelled at God and I've squirmed and I've told him, I'm not going to pastor anymore. And it's almost as if God says, excuse me, Mike, I'm over here solving the world problem. I'm not going to pay attention to that ridiculous comment you just made because my gifts and my calling are irrevocable. So you'll get through it, you'll get over it, and you'll get on with it and you'll understand that it's Jesus Christ and his glory. It's the gospel that is directly tied to Jesus. And then I begin to realize that my stick to my desire to be faithful to God is in proportion to being in God's word. 
My bravery, my courage, your bravery and your courage is in proportion to being in the Word of God. To build your faith, lift your Bible. If God has called you to it, most likely you will be scared of it. You hear what I just said? If God has called you to it, you will be scared of it. And that's why you need to be a person who's transformed by the Word of God so that you can become an agent of transformation, courtesy of the power of God in the overflow. Refreshing, brave, and look at this. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Wow. Commitment. Anisiphorus was committed. Unreservedly, unwaveringly committed, not just to Paul, but to Paul's God, to Paul's Savior. And today we live in a day and an age where lukewarm is so much the norm that commitment seems like craziness. But you know, biblically, commitment is the normal experience of faith and Christ-like character. Anisiphorus was refreshing to the Apostle Paul, gave him the opportunity to come up for air, revived him. When Paul contemplated his name, it was synonymous with being refreshing. Is that true of you? Anisiphorus was brave and bold and courageous in the face of a nutjob emperor who was going to put Paul to death and could have done that to Timothy if he could get his hands on him. And yet, Anisiphorus was brave. And finally, Anisiphorus was committed. He was committed to Jesus Christ. He was committed to the gospel. He was committed being in the back line to those who were serving on the front lines and would not allow himself to sit down on the sidelines. My friend, I don't care if you're male or female, rich, poor, black, white, good-looking, not good-looking, overweight, underweight, what your history was, what your history is, you can be a modern-day Anisiphorus. You can be like this man. You can be like this hero. You can be exactly like him. Every single one of us, CQI, continuous quality improvement, can be more refreshing to the people around us. Every single one of us can have more bravery when it comes to Jesus and the gospel. And every single one of us can be more committed to those on the front lines. Even if we're on the back lines, we can be more committed to Jesus and the message of the gospel. You know what I say? Let's get to it. Let's get to it.